everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I'm here today again with Dr. Stacy. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me back, Melanie. So happy for you to join us today, and just welcome to everyone out there. I'm so glad all of y'all are here listening, and if you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, we really are glad you found us. You are no longer alone with your screen struggles and questions and wondering if you're just the only parent who's just not giving their kids a smartphone or maybe just the only parent that's really struggling with this. You are not alone. You finally found your people. And I'll just say that today's show has the potential to significantly change your life. So look around to see where you are because you will remember that when you heard the show, your life changed and you'll be able to talk about it. So Dr. Stacy and I are going to unpack the topic of eighth graders getting smartphones and social media. Um, but first I want to share a little story that I was just talking with Dr. Stacy yesterday about. And I thought, you know, I just need to tell y'all this little story. Yesterday morning, I was watching a video discussion with therapists. There was four people having a discussion and it was very nice. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to listen to what these therapists are saying. And the title was something about smartphones and kids and um, how they were going to give us tips. And so, you know, I'm always doing research and I'm always listening and I'm always out there. In fact, if you are out there listening today and you have something that I need to hear about, please send it to team at screenstrong.com and I will look at it. But anyway, I was watching this. It was all set up like a kind of a webinar kind of thing. And, and it had all four people and they were talking about teens and smartphones. And I just have to, I just have to unpack just for a minute what they were saying, because I think this is sort of the consensus of our culture right now. So the first thing they said was that tech is here to day. So we are all in misery. <laughs> Tech is here to stay. So we're all in misery. You know, drugs are here to stay too, but my kids really don't have to do drugs. So we're not really in misery over it. They just don't do it. The second point that they made was that our teens are the most miserable, which of course makes parents miserable because you're only as happy as your saddest teenager, right? Or your saddest child. So of course, teens are suffering the most because they do have the most to lose. So the first thing was tech is here to stay. The second thing is our teens are the most miserable. And the third thing is the kick. The third thing is that we can't help it. There is like this helpless element to our culture right now. Like we're all victims, right? And in our house, when our kids start acting like they're a victim, I use the word pitiful and I say, please stop acting pitiful. <laughs> this whole victim mentality really must go. Like I, and, and these were four adult, very well-educated, very experienced counselors. And I'm like, where, where's the hope? What are y'all talking about? What do you mean that it's just here to stay and we're all going to be miserable and we can't help it? I, I was really taken back and Dr. Stacy, that's when I called you. I mean, we got on the phone. I'm like, what's going on here? It's like they're looking for job security. And what did you tell me? You're not looking for job security. I'm not looking for job security. I cannot wait for the day where I show up to work and there's nobody to see. 
Not that there aren't other mental health issues that are not related to screens, but it's such an epidemic right now. So, you know, we're definitely not helpless. 100%. No, we are not helpless. I don't have smartphones and they're successful and do amazing things. And, you know, we're not, we're not helpless. Well, as you start listening to the show today, everybody out there, you've got to, you've got to get that blind spot and, uh, you know, out of your head. Like I had to get a lot of blind spots. I had to erase a lot of blind spots with, with my oldest and with all the mistakes we made. And this is a big one. You cannot have the attitude that it's too big of a problem, that it's here to stay, that there's nothing you can do about it. And that we're all just victims. We just cannot have that attitude. And so as they, as I got part through that part of the first 10 minutes, I was like, okay, please tell me there's an answer. So I kept thinking, what is their answer? What is their answer? So guess what? Their answer is to have more conversations about all the bad stuff and to be miserable really with your kids, to get in their misery and wallow around in their misery and, and just whatever, whatever you do, just don't feel guilty as parents. And, and I don't want anybody out there to feel guilty, right? But the bottom line is if we're guilty, then we need to feel guilty because that's how we then change our behavior. But this was just terrible advice. Their tips were to just be pitiful together. And to keep going to counseling, right? Because every kid needs a doctor and a dentist and a counselor. Then I thought, oh, well, that's why they're saying all this. But it was just really, really, really sad. So the screen strong answer, just by the way, right up front, I'm just going to tell you the answer is doing something about this problem, not just about having multiple, multiple conversations about all the horrible, bad stuff in the world that our kids are being exposed to with our kids. Like that's I mean, what a waste of time. Um, I'm not saying that we don't have conversations. Of course we do. Of course, you know, my kids don't have smartphones. Dr. Stacy kids don't have smartphones. And I bet our kids are as much or more educated than anybody with a smartphone because we do talk about it, but we don't get in the quicksand with them. We talk about it as a topic they need to understand. And then we move on. At Screen Strong, we take a very bold stand against this very serious issue of giving teenagers, especially eighth graders, smartphones and subjecting them to the worst that this digital world has to offer during the most vulnerable stage of their entire life. This group of counselors didn't say anything about that. So it was really sad. I mean, I was glad I listened to it, but there was no tips. The tips were that we're going to be in misery. (laughs) I guess that was their tip and to feel okay about being miserable together. And the whole thing I feel, I feel like Dr. Stacy was that they just kept thinking that you can force these young t- kids to be adults. And we know we can't force them to be adults. Yeah. Their, their brains just can't do it. I mean, that's the thing is that over time um, we have sort of agreed with the incorrect notion that our children are as mature as adults or as able to make decisions as we are. And we know Mm -hmm. the science shows us, regardless of how wonderful we think our children are, we can't put these decisions on them. Like they can't manage this sort of input. It's just not possible for their brains. No. And I think it's really wrong for parents to try to make their kids more mature by handing them this device, especially in eighth grade, because today we're going to focus on eighth grade. Um, The other thing they said, just really quick before we get started with our five areas that we're going to talk about today, they said, after all, you know, COVID came, COVID hit us. So we, we all had to work at home. So we had no choice. They literally said we had no choice 
but to give our kids drug, I mean, I mean, give our kids screens <laughs> to babysit them. And parent, by the way, it's not your fault. It's the culture's fault. We get to blame the culture and we get to blame COVID. And, you know, it it is what it is, um, but it's nobody's fault. But, you know, we all were the victim of this thing. And, you know, denial is really not healthy. I wanted so badly to try to get in touch with these counselors and say, look, there are plenty of parents out there that did COVID just fine without screens. We in our house personally, and I know Dr. Stacy, you did not use screens as babysitters during COVID. We did COVID without screens. I mean, yeah, we watched movies and family movies and co-viewed a lot of different things, but our kids did not play video games because there was COVID and they did not get on social media because of COVID. We, we did learn the hard way and, you know, with our oldest. So we did make those changes, but parents, you are not pitiful. You have the power to change the culture in your home and guide your kids away from this fire. It is not worth it. They will get burned and they will get scarred. And so today's show is going to be very refreshing for you. If you have this gut feeling that you shouldn't be giving your kids a phone while they're teenagers, you are in the right place. We're going to share the reasons and we're just going to really inspire you and, and prepare you to make this decision. The issue of smartphones and teenagers is very serious. This is not like deciding what outfit they're going to wear to prom, you know, or what car you're going to buy them. This, that, this is not that issue. This is a very serious issue and we need to take it very seriously. And we don't need to throw our hands up and just say, oh, well, it's here to stay and there's nothing we can do about it. It's very serious. It's way more serious than you might realize because we've all been desensitized in our culture. Social media is not for teenagers. And while they can access it on their school laptops, they are on it a lot more when they have a phone in their pocket. So when we today are talking about social media and smartphones, they're kind of interchangeable because a smartphone means social media, right? We know how serious this is. So if you've already given your child a smartphone, you can reverse your decision. Please don't lose hope. If you have not given them a smartphone, then good for you. Don't. Today, you're going to walk away and you're going to have a lot of power. (laughs) So let's get started, Dr. Stacy. We have five reasons that we're going to cover today and we have a lot more reasons. We probably could come up easily. I think even yesterday when we were talking, I think we could come up with 50 reasons, but right now we're just going to take the top five or just the five to start with. And Dr. Stacy and I will be discussing more of this in detail on our forum and our website. When that opens up in a couple of weeks, we have a connect forum that we're opening there. So keep an eye out for that. But Dr. Stacy, out of all the ages to give your child access to a smartphone and social media, wouldn't you agree that 14 years old um, or eighth grade or whichever age you are in eighth grade, depending on when your kids started school, marks what I call the center of the bullseye. It's it's the peak of the worst age to give your kids because the most damage can occur. It, it We know that, for example, rejection pain for that 15-year-old, 14, 15-year-old girl is felt the strongest at this age. And then we have the intense onset of the sexual interest by boys and girls during this age. So let's start with our first reason why eighth grade is the worst age for a smartphone. So the first reason, Dr. Stacey, why don't you take that one? It's the brain science. Sure. And I will say that I 100% agree with you. So 
13, 14 years old, maybe even 15, 16 years old is the worst time you can give your kid a smartphone. And science will agree with me, okay? So there is science that shows us that when we use smartphones, our brain releases an intense amount of dopamine, okay? So dopamine, like we've talked about before on the podcast, it's a reward hormone. Now, when kids are teenagers, their dopamine system in their brain is really high volume. So it's working on overdrive. So that's why we see teenagers make these crazy decisions that you say, why would you do that? And they look at you like, I don't know. It's because they really don't, right? Because their brains are so on overdrive. So this systems at a functional high during the teenage years. And that leads to elevated patterns of exploration, lots of novelty seeking, lots of looking for incentives and new things. And so if you're giving your child a device to hold in their hands at every waking hour that prompts that system to work in overdrive, you actually can be causing damage to their brain. Now, I hate to sit and say, you're giving your kids brain damage because that seems real fantastical. But I am concerned that the studies, as time goes on, are going to show that it actually is damaging the brain. Well, they're showing it already. The NIH studies are showing it right. already. We are seeing some preliminary studies from the NIH that actually show the actual cortex of the brain is changing and not in a good way. So... The brain, when you're born, you have all these neuronal connections, right? That are sort of like getting you to figure out which one of these you need to be able to function in your certain environment. Um, When you're a baby, there's something we call neural pruning. So that gets rid of a lot of the connections that you don't need. There's a second time period of intense neural pruning that happens in the teenage years. And so during that time, if there are brain pathways that you are using a lot, those are the ones that are going to stick around. If there are brain pathways that you're not using, they're going to go away and they're not going to come back. So these go away forever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if teenagers are not learning how to talk face to face, how to make eye contact, how to know what to do in a certain social situation, those brain pathways go away. So they are gone. So that's why we're seeing now these 20-year-old kids, or I guess they're young adults, that can't make eye contact. They can't talk to you face-to-face. They can't sit somewhere without pulling their device out of their pocket. They don't Mm -hmm. know how to daydream. They don't know how to be creative because their brain isn't letting them do that, right? I mean... I'm sure all of our listeners can think of some situation they've heard of where a person has been raised in a really difficult environment and they do things differently or have learned differently. That's because of this neural pruning. But we have a whole generation now of teenagers who have lost certain brain connections because they're not using them. They're stuck in immaturity is the way I see it. They get stuck. And one of the windows where they have the potential to really get stuck is eighth grade. I mean, it's that, that end of middle school, beginning of high school in um, because of their brain development, it's, I, I think the thing is Dr. Stacey, I think parents get really tripped up because they think, 
Well, they're older. The older they are, then this I'm getting closer to them being able to have a phone. But really what happens is because of this neural pruning that you're talking about, it gets worse before it gets better. It gets, it gets to be the worst age before it gets to be the better age. It doesn't, it's not like a linear thing where it's getting better and better and better. It's maybe better, you know, and your kid is feeling, a little, you feel like your kid is a little bit mature in fourth, fifth grade, right? But then it's like they take a U-turn and, and this is the reason why. And I think this is what has caught so many parents just, you know, off guard. Well, and another thing to note is that a large percentage of teenagers that have smartphones, they are addicted to them and they admit they're addicted to them and they know that they are. And that in and of itself is a problem, right? Because being mm-hmm. addicted, you know, overusing anything is not good for our brains. But also we know that the teenagers that become addicted to their phones actually are more susceptible to other addictions as they age. Yes. So that is really concerning. And the reason for that is because of this novelty seeking. So they are so used to this, what's new, what's the new content? What am I going to see next? You know, like we see, you know, sixth graders searching things like funny cat videos or like, how do I make a friendship bracelet or all about my favorite author. And then the kids get to eighth grade and they're looking for things like, you know, what is depression or how do I, you know, make my boyfriend like me more or, you know, all the way up to pornography, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like Mm -hmm. things change in these teenage years and it's because the brain is changing. And so we don't want our kids addicted to smartphones. We don't want our kids addicted to other things as they get older. And this leads into the, the, one of the most important things that I talk to my own kids about that I am aware of that I talk to every single patient about, and that's sleep. Mm-hmm. So teenagers have got to have sleep and they actually need nine hours of, of sleep per night yeah, or more. So if you're a teenager and I'm saying eighth grade and up, if they have to be at leave for school, right at 7 a.m., they have to get up at 6 a.m. They need to be in bed by what time? Asleep by 9. Oh, so that's, that's never going to happen. That's no. not happening. So these, these kids are using their phones so much and it's affecting their sleep. So if you're in school, you know, eight hours a day or seven hours a day and you're on your phone, nine hours a day, there doesn't, it doesn't leave a lot of hours for sleep. Yeah. And sleep yeah. is so important as their brains are really growing and developing and trying to move towards the 25 year old, you know, completely developed brain sleep is necessary. And if they're not sleeping, then their cognitive maturation is not going to be where we want it to be. And also though, if you're sleep deprived, your body is going to release a lot more cortisol, which is a stress hormone, which can lead to a lot of other medical problems, including things like obesity, you know, feelings of stress, high blood pressure and other things. And this is where the using the phone starts to alleviate some of those symptoms, but it becomes this vicious circle because it, the, the cycle starts where they start feeling worse because they're not getting enough sleep. So they use their phone more, which allows them to, or keeps them from getting enough sleep. Right. That's the whole thing. And everything that Dr. Stacy is talking about right now, a lot of this stuff is in our course, by the way, if you're listening and you didn't understand or realize this. Um, and I love that you just talked about the searches changing. And this, and this is from a study. This is not, we're not making this up. Like this is like a study that Linda Chairman did. And we have all this in our 
course. So it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. What's the second reason why eighth graders shouldn't have a smartphone? It centers around time. Just let, let's just, before we dive into some of the ugly reasons, let's just talk about this one. Let's time, time is our most valuable resource. So we have to teach our kids how to use it well. The average is, uh, well, we, we start off saying 10,000 hours during the teen years that they're spending on digital entertainment. But Dr. Stacy and I did the math right before we got on the show. And we know that it's over 16,000 hours if you take the typical nine hours a day. And that's, that's in grades eight to 12. 16,000 hours. Well, Melanie, I want to say that the nine hours a day from that the CDC reported is, is entertainment time on phones. So that's not time they're spending using it in school or time on a device in school. So that's just the nine hours per day of entertainment time. So that's 16,000 hours between the beginning of eighth grade and when they graduate from high school. Think about what your child could accomplish in 16,000 hours. How many degrees, right? Because it takes like 5,000 hours to earn a degree or something. Or just like learning more about who they are. Or, you know, like I've told this story before about my little patient who had no idea that he was an amazing artist. And then we, you know, got his parents to take his device away. And he, his art is unbelievable. Like we'll see his art in a museum one day. Had he never had taken that away, we would never have known. So you know, the, the time and the potential that could be, you know, evident from that time. Imagine what your kids could do if they practiced, uh, you know, piano for nine hours a day. <laughs> they, would, they would be, that would be unbelievable. How about just one hour a day? So the trade for their potential during this window of opportunity is tragic that they're trading. Now, if we have a 30 or 40 year old mom or dad who decides to trade five hours of their time for scrolling social media, the outcome is still not going to be good, of course, but it's not as tragic as it is for a child who doesn't have their potential ironed out yet. We've got to figure out what they like and the only way we can do this and what they're good at. And the only way we can do this is by allowing them to have the time to do it. So um, we, we know that teenagers, and again, say eighth grade, starting there, um, that they do not have the executive function skills to manage their time either. Yeah. So around this age is when kids start to really get into spending more time and putting more effort towards um, outside activities like sports, for example. So if you have a kid who has to go to school every day, maybe they have to practice their sport in the morning and they practice their sport after school, if they're also trying to spend all of this time on their phone, they're not learning these time management skills, right? So they have mm-hmm. to be able to develop the executive functioning that allows them to manage that type of schedule. And that's mm-hmm. something that they need to learn during that age is how do I decide what's important to me and manage my schedule so that I can participate fully in all of those activities. Like I was um, telling you, Melanie, about my daughter, who's a golfer and she um, she's 16. And so she had to go to the state golf tournament. So they did, they had to go to a practice round and then they had to go to the 
state tournament day. So she missed two days of school. And we were talking about how she feels so lucky that she doesn't have a smartphone because she felt like her time was so limited yes. with trying to make up the schoolwork that she would feel pulled to that rather right. than actually spending every second she could to get the things done that she needed to do. So and that's, that is so true. My boys say that all the time. Um, they have a lot of activities, but they have time to do them because they are not spending time in the black hole of social media or just playing. On exactly. Exactly. That's really important. And again, this is an executive function skill that they are not born with. They, they have to practice it. And you don't practice getting better at time management by using your time unwisely. That's not how you practice it. You practice it by not being distracted and uh, getting that real, real strong backbone in understanding how to manage your time. And I do think that our kids and all, all yours and, and mine, I think they really do understand the value of that. They don't fully understand. I mean, every year that goes by, they understand it better. But when they look back and think, wow, I'm so glad I didn't spend, you know, 10,000 hours, you know. Right. And like we talked about in the previous um, podcast about multitasking, like this, these are the years eighth and up when that really becomes a pull for them to try to multitask, to try to do all these things at once. And we know that that's so bad for them. And so we need to make sure that we're allowing our teenagers the chance to learn these executive functioning. Yeah. And to spend their time wisely and not have screen time, steal their time. And, you know, I've always wondered why this this whole concept of parents that come um, to the table and they're, they're, they're just saying, well, I got to give them a smartphone and they give it to them 24 hours a day. Why do we ever think that this is a good idea to give our kids a smartphone 24 hours, 24 hours a day? Like they give it to them, like it's theirs. Okay. It's theirs now. And so they're like, they they have full reign 24 seven. This is such a bad idea. Like what part of our adult brains are not getting it? Um, if your child needs a phone because they're babysitting, give them a phone and have it be a house phone, a, a, a cell phone that's a house phone. And they come home and then they put it back. What is this thing about that? The phone has to be Velcro to their body 24 hours a day. If we're truly using it as a tool, then just use it while you're at golf practice, use it while you're at tennis practice to call mom to pick you up and then put it back. It, right. It, this is mind boggling when you think about it. See, I told you if you're listening out there that your life is going to change today. So um, that's one thing that is going to be a really a real defining moment for you to understand that your kids certainly don't need this 24 seven, but they don't need smartphones at all. So the third reason is because of the content. So they don't need phones because of the brain science. We know they're not ready. They don't need them because they're going to waste their time. So the third thing is they're going to 100% be exposed to content that is bad for them. That, that, that's just a, true statement. You cannot, as a parent, keep your child from seeing stuff and being exposed to stuff on a smartphone by putting parental controls up. We talked about that recently. You cannot. It's like sending them into the bar and expecting somehow that they're not going to smell cigarette smoke. The smoke is everywhere. They will be exposed to it. And we just have to get real clear on this. Um, Dr. Stacey, talk about the fact that once these new connections are forming, right? Because this is what you're talking about with the neural mm-hmm. pruning and all the the second stage of development going on right now, that once these new connections are forming, that our teen 
brains are holding tightly onto these associations. So what that means is that our most powerful and lasting memories arise in adolescence. That's you know, we think from a scientific perspective that our self-esteem actually forms and is solidified in the teenage years. So that how your self-esteem forms in those years is how it will follow you mm-hmm. through your mm-hmm. adult life. So those connections are forming and the content you're seeing um, is affecting you as a teenager significantly more than it affects an adult brain. It's changing their life at a core level and a very unique phase of development with, I mean, the timing could not be worse for them to right, have so all they these value changes. themselves on likes, on how many um, snaps they get, on who shares their post, on who reads their tweet, on who, you know, likes their stuff on Be Real or who sees it or how many views they get on their video that they share. And, you know, one thing I think that parents don't think about um, just from the parents I've talked to both socially and in my clinic is that, you know, you might have a lot of restrictions on your kid's phone and you talk to your child about what they're looking at and who, you know, they're interacting with, but you can't keep other people from influencing your child. So if you're letting a, a teenager out there on social media or even on, you know, Safari or Chrome or whatever on their phone, people can get to them. Okay. And so even if it's something really small, like I saw recently that there was a teenager that was posting videos of of his sport that he was really good at. Yeah. And um, I noticed in the comments that schools were commenting on his post, like, we hope you'll come play for us. Mm. Hope you'll come be part of our team. So those schools are influencing this child without the parent even knowing. Then the kids become, they get so overwhelmed and they start to feel anxiety. You know, anxiety is probably the most common thing that we see as a result of content. And then there's the whole issue about porn, right? And a lot, most kids don't go looking for it. Um, the first time it it's just chasing them. them. Yeah. It's chasing them. Yes. Yes. So the thing about porn, okay, we're going to have another show. I keep saying that we will, we'll bring you on and we're going to be talking about the science behind all that. But what I want you to hear today, um, just for everyone out there, all our parents out there today, what I want you to understand is the fact that every day that goes by that your child is not exposed to this graphic content is, is a win. So I don't want you to think about, Oh, well, they're going to see it one day and they're going to whatever. And I just, and I'm just going to be pitiful because I can't do anything about it. And you get this real defeated attitude. Do not get defeated over this. We do know that if they have a smartphone, they will see pornography a hundred percent. Like there's no way that you can keep it off a small screen like that. But what I want to say is like, uh, like what we do with our our boys, we we check in on a regular basis. We talk about it. Of course, we have conversations about it. But every day that goes by, every 24 hours that goes by where they've been porn free, <laughs> and we do have a porn free home and we talk about that too. But every day that goes by is a win. We are taking these small steps every day, every day. And we know that it will add up 
and we will have a much better experience at, at the end when we look back. It's just like coaching. When you have a team that you're building and a player that you're building, you do the right thing every day. It's that repetition of doing the right thing every day. Do not get overwhelmed with the bigger issue right now or what might they do when they go to college and, oh no, they're going to binge and go crazy. No, your job as a parent coach right now is to coach your kids to make these decisions every day and to make them well and to really clear the deck every day. And that means that they do not carry a small handheld computer in their pocket every day, because we know 100% of the time they will get exposed to content that they shouldn't be exposed to. And remember what we said about the stage of development. This is a very, very critical stage of development. And this is not to scare people out there. This is just to give you the facts, to give you the medical facts, to give you the truth, and to just give you the power to be the coach that you need to be. Um, there's a lot of desensitization that occurs when even now in eighth grade, when your kids start seeing silly things that are sort of sexual and sort of not sexual, and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the line gets more blurry and blurry. And that is why this age is so critical. And what Dr. Stacy just said about this is where they're forming their identity. So we know that a lot of the sexual Things that are happening today are happening because of what kids are being exposed to at these early ages when their brains are like kind of like wet cement. It's very right. And don't we want don't we want ourselves, our spouses and partners, our other children, our family, tr other trusted adults to be the ones that influence our children as they form who they are, not yeah. strangers. So that's really, you know, where we're thinking about. So let's go to the fourth thing. The fourth thing centers around mental health. And we already touched on that just for a minute about the anxiety that you mentioned, but there, there's so much on this that we, we can't, we can't unpack it in five minutes, but just give us the overview of why mental health issues are so much more prevalent around this age for kids who do have smartphones. Right. So there's more than we can than we can cover, right? Yeah. Even in one or two or three hours. And so yeah. um, I think the takeaways when it comes to mental health and screens with teenagers is that we see a significant increase in anxiety, depression, impulsivity, irritability, sleep mm -hmm. problems with as little as two hours Per week wow. of phone wow. use, of, you know, screen use, which I include iPads and you know, yeah. handheld, handhelds. Why do we want to pay for and offer something to our children, our teenagers that we know can make their lives worse? Okay. Now I don't want to say harder because I think that the teenage years should be hard Yeah, because I think that's where we learn how to manage conflict and difficulty and do hard build things. grit. Exactly. I think a lot of parents worry that, well, they'll be the only one without a smartphone and you know, that's going to damage them in some way. That's just not true. We don't see mental health problems because kids don't have a phone right? Now there are ways you have to encourage your child to reach out to their friends and do things that are um, good for their mental health, but they're going to fill those 16,000 hours with something a lot better for their mental health than spending time on their device. 
I love that you just said that that you don't see kids with mental health issues, you know, that, that don't have phones. I mean, the screen strong kids, I'm not saying that they don't have problems and that they certainly can't have a mental health situation, but statistically that that's just a really fascinating statement to say they're not coming in because they don't have a phone. Right. I've never, I've yet to see a teenager (laughs) or college student who is seeing me because they're anxious or depressed or whatever, because they don't have a phone. Yeah. I mean, and maybe other psychiatrists have, but no, no one I've heard of. I mean, that's just not something that we're seeing. There's a little statement that I want to, that I just want to say that kids are getting sicker as big tech gets bigger. Yes. Yeah. So they're making money at your child's expense. A hundred percent. You know, there was actually a study that showed that they studied a, a bunch of children and teenagers and found that these teenagers had never been diagnosed with ADHD before. So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder and you're born with it. Okay. So you have it. It's the way your brain developed in the womb and it has certain, you know, symptoms. So we see these group of teenagers who develop ADHD symptoms, like they meet criteria for ADHD, but it's because of the phone. So they don't actually have ADHD. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty powerful that a phone could um, cause your child to have, to meet criteria for a mental health condition that they don't actually have. It's creating mental health problems. And this isn't our opinion, by the way, because I I do know that you may be listening, kind of rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, come on, we know that there's a whole lot more mental health issues than there were. And how can we really relate it back to the phone? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we can. There are so many more studies being done now. So it's something that we kind of knew all along, but the studies and the science all point to the same conclusion. Use of handheld devices during these impressionable stages of development do cause mental health problems. Nobody's really arguing that anymore. I I don't think, I think every, I mean, it's all over the news. It's all over everything out there. So we have to be careful that we're not giving our kids something that's really making them sick during this time when they can really get sick, when they can really get emotionally sick. So Dr. Stacey, Uh, let's look at the social number five is our social reasons. It, it is, this is one that is sort of like, it gets very easily interpreted in sort of a backward way because we think that they're being more social while they're on their phone, but they're not. So talk about why the social skills that kids need to develop are not developing on a smartphone. Right. So the most important things, thing we can do for social emotional development for our children is to help them to form a good EQ, which is emotional intelligence, right? And so that's how to communicate effectively, how to be empathetic, how to handle conflicts and challenges. Um, And that correlates with better mental health, better physical health, better relationships, better job performance, all of those things. And so how do we form a strong EQ? It can only be learned through observing voices, body posture, and facial expressions in person. So you have to have face-to-face interactions in order to develop a strong EQ. So it's just so important that teenagers, when they're in groups, Well, first of all, that they're spending time in groups, right? Because some Mm -hmm. teenagers just spend their free time laying in their bed on their phone. 
Um, and you think I'm being dramatic, but like, it's really true. I know teenagers that I know personally and in my clinic that get up, go to school, come home and they sit in the room on their phone until it's time for bed Yep. or even past time for bed. Right. And so first of all, it's important that they spend time in groups with their phones put away. So they need to interact face to face, learn how to read the room. So to say, they need to learn how to read you know, other people's facial expressions, how to know when to put themselves into a conversation, how to know when they say something that they maybe wish they wouldn't have said, how to handle that, how to sort of work in a social environment. You can't do that if you're staring down at a screen. These apps are called social media. That is the biggest joke. Like they're not social. They're not. So you're, you are not learning how to be social through smartphones. You're just not. The other thing that you were just saying about reading the room and reading facial expressions, I think the biggest thing that they need to learn, and quite frankly, we all need to practice more because we've gotten out of practice, is to learn how to handle the awkwardness of a silent pause in a conversation without having to pick up my phone to fill that, you know, so to fill that moment. And I think this happens a lot with teenagers when they're all standing around before school or during lunch and they're, they know they're craving this time together, but if, but if they don't know how to navigate the awkwardness of some of the things that naturally occur in being with people, they're never going to learn it. How are they going to My teenager tells me all the time about how she has met people in certain situations that she would have never gotten to know or talk to had she had a smartphone right. because she, you know, might be waiting for something right. at school or waiting for something at golf or at dance or something else. And she's required to look up and see who she can engage with. Right. Yeah. Because she can't stare down at a screen. And we've talked about that a lot and how, even as adults now we're we're doing that, right. Instead of, looking at each other and talking to each other. And so if they learn that even as a teenager, they're going to lose so many years of important social development by not being able to have face-to-face interactions with people and really have, you know, I always tell people, kids and adults that boredom is exercise for our brain, right? It's like weightlifting for our brain. And so you've got to be bored. You can't constantly have this, you know, entertainment because it doesn't allow your brain to develop the way it should. And, you know, technology use when kids and teens get together in groups is so dangerous for their social development. So they've got to use that time to practice communication skills, to learn to interact, to entertain themselves without outside influence. You know, these are all important skills that teenagers are not learning because they're staring at their phone. And without a phone, they're sort of forced to learn those things. So I want you to hear this very clearly out there. If you're a mom, dad listening, and you're immediately, your hair is standing up on the back of your neck because you're saying, oh, you don't understand. My kid is shy. And this is the only way they can be social. And I will challenge you to say that this whole shyness thing. And I don't want to step on toes and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but so much of it is your kid is not shy. They just haven't practiced. They haven't gotten over the hump because every kid is shy, right? Everybody, nobody likes awkwardness. Everybody wants to go for the easier way out. And so if you keep giving your kid the easier way out, which is here's your phone, sweetie, here's your phone. You don't have to look at people anymore. You don't have to 
interject into a conversation while people are standing around in the lunch line, you don't have to do any of this, then now you have successfully trained your child to be shy. And if they are shy, which is sort of the social awkward thing label, then that will that will be what they practice. So they continue to be shy and then mom continues to make excuses. And then they get this like shell built around them. And this is why I say that kids who have smartphones are living in a bubble. It's not the other kids. It's not the screen strong kids that are living in a bubble. Like everybody says, Oh, your kid's living in a bubble. I mean, no, no, they're, they're actually out there, you know, bumping around with life and um, figuring out how to do these awkward social things. And there is nothing more valuable, Dr. Stacy, when you get out in a job situation, when you get married, when you have kids, there's nothing more valuable than being able to handle yourself in an awkward social situation. And when are we going to learn how to do this? Because we're not born with this knowledge. We have to practice this. So when are we going to learn it? Are you going to learn it when you're 30 years old? I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be really hard. It's like learning a language when you're 30. That's really hard too. But by the time you're 30, you've been doing that for, you know, 15 years. You're not making any changes. No. That's what your brain is wired to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so smartphones smartphones are really working against your child's social development. So let's say it again. Smartphones are working against your child's social development. It is not enhancing their social development. But to you as a parent, you're looking at it as, well, this is a social thing. No, it's not. Social media is not social. Social media is comparison. It is selling. It is advertising. It is, they're doing everything they can, you know, um, to get your kids' attention and to take advantage of them when they are in the most or the highest novelty seeking time of their life. That's why it doesn't work. That's why we are so passionate about this eighth grade thing that's in our culture right now. I think a lot of parents think they won a, an award if they have waited till eighth grade. And I hear it all the time. And again, please don't take offense to this. I am not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I am just telling you, take the blind spot away. Listen to these five things that we talked about today. Listen to them again with some friends. Listen to them again with your kid. And just get your pathway straight. This green strong lifestyle is a fabulous pathway. We're trying to create this pathway for you. So you don't have to just be the pioneer in this. There are lots of people that are doing this now. They're realizing all these scientific truths. They're realizing all the harm that they're doing to their kids. And they didn't mean to, none of us mean to do this. We don't mean to take the edge away from our kids, but that's what we're doing. When we're given an eighth grader smartphone, we are now handicapping them in a way we're taking their potential. We're taking this edge that Dr. Stacy, you and I see that other kids have that don't have smartphones. They have an edge. Yes. Agreed. So why do parents struggle with this? As we start to wrap up, we got a couple of questions we're going to answer. I think the biggest reason why parents struggle is they think their child is mature, right? Dr. Stacy, I'm sure you have parents that come in and that just have the deer in the headlight look when you tell them something about their kid, because they don't believe it. They just think that their kid's are different. They think they're different than everybody else. They're more mature. And this is something we talk a lot about on the show. It's a blind spot. It's very hard to overcome. I could go on and on about how hard this one is to overcome, but your kids are not mature. Please understand 
that they are not mature enough for this. There's like a lot of adults that aren't even mature enough for all of this. Yeah, your child's brain is not growing at an accelerated development over other kids' brains. It's just not. Right. You know what I mean? There is, of course, some variability between like maybe 23 years old and 25 years old for when the brain is fully developed. But in the teenage years, yeah, that that's just not, it's just not happening. And remember that intelligence is not maturity. I think that's a big thing that trips people up. Exactly. So just because they're exactly. smart doesn't mean they're mature. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I think parents think their child will never click on undesirable content. And I, again, we could, of course, go on for hours about this. The fact of the matter is that content is chasing them. So if you want to believe your kid will never click on it, which I don't believe my kid will never click on it, I'll be honest, I have four of them. And I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will click. I cannot say, don't click on this. They will. And and why am I telling, I mean, it's, why am I putting it there? When the other thing is, I think that we don't realize as parents is that they will click on the undesirable content and chances are they will not tell you about right. it, about the pornography right. they saw or the horrible thing they saw on their phone. And so then they're carrying shame and you may never know about it. And so it'll present itself as a little bit of a division in your relationship, a little bit of a change in their personality that could be so small that you don't notice it, but it will happen. Yeah. It shows up as anxiety and depression and Mm -hmm. you start taking them to the doctor and they start giving them drugs and really they're kind of caught in this shame world. And it's not because we're making them feel shame. They naturally feel shame because there's a lot of things that are very shameful out there. And thank goodness that they're feeling shame, right? I mean, I don't think that word is as bad as people are like making it out to be. That's just like a natural thing that we have built into our brains that, you know, we should not do certain things and that's a good thing. But I think that parents need to understand not to vilify their kids and really not to even vilify all the social media stuff, right? I mean, there's a lot of bad things out there. We just don't need to do it. And it's doing, it's during this time frame that is so critical. I think we've made that point really clear today. I think the third thing is that parents cannot stand the nagging and they're, they're getting worn down. So Dr. Stacey, you know, don't you think that by the time middle school, late middle school, eighth grade, ninth grade, I see it routinely that a parent has been screen strong. They have been on board with us. Even if they're new to us, they're like, oh, I found my people. Y'all are just, you believe exactly what I believe and what I've been doing for my kids. And then ninth grade hits or even eighth grade hits. And they're like exhausted. They're like, you don't understand. My kid is wearing me down. They are begging me every minute of every day. In fact, they're going behind my back and they're stealing phones and they're getting their friends to give them hand-me-down phones from their house. And they're having these secret private Facebook accounts. So I might as well just make it okay. And, you know, it's like stealing drugs. I, I know one family, the mom told me that her son had a smartphone that he got from a friend and he was hiding it in a slit in his mattress in his bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that just like goes to show you the pull these devices have. But you yeah. know what we've done in our family is that we've changed our family culture. And so we don't get yeah. the nagging from our kids. You know, no, we don't either. I mean, they mention it every now and then because they get left out of some group texts and stuff, which I'm completely fine with. But we have changed our family culture. And so they understand that this is what our culture is. We do not buy anyone in our home 
under 18 a smartphone. We just yeah. don't. And so yeah. we don't hear about it because we changed our culture. And so I think you can have a family meeting and you can say to your kids, we're changing our family culture yeah. and this is what we're doing going forward. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, there's this whole idea of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And so the kids like really are worried that they're missing out. And so they're nagging their parents because they say, well, I'm missing out. But we do see a hundred percent of the time that that gets worse when your kid has a smartphone Definitely. because not only are they hearing about it secondhand from, you know, people at school, they're actually seeing the things they're left out of and they're, mm -hmm. you know, experiencing that firsthand. And so yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of things our kids nag us about and nobody told us that parenting was easy. I think we just have to remind ourselves that they're going to nag us about that. They're going to nag us about all kinds of things and we have to do what's best to keep them healthy. Well, I think parenting is a whole lot easier without a smartphone than it is with a smartphone. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah. If you want to, I mean, really enjoy your kids. And I know you can be out there saying, well, I my kid is fun. I really enjoy them and whatever. But, you know, there's so many rules and limits and regulations. And you're the game cop and the phone cop. And I got so sick of that job. And I just didn't like it. And we just have so much more fun with our kids. It is so much easier. Imagine your life without ever arguing with your eighth grader about their phone. Put it down. Don't do that. You're, you've gone over your limits. You're sneaking, you're cheating, you're lying to me. I think these phones, you know, make our kids lie to us. We have a rule that we don't give our kids things that make them lie to us. I mean, we try to, you know, uh, set them up for success. I don't want to set them up for failure. And today we've really covered a lot in a short time. <laughs> so thank you, Dr. Stacy. Thank you. Let's just uh, end with the final question I have here about, so now what? So now what do I do? If you, if you have not given that eighth grader that phone yet, oh my goodness, good for you. Just hang on one more day. Just tackle it one day at a time. Don't worry about next month. Just tackle it, you know, one more day. So if you haven't done that, if you've already given them a smartphone, guess what? You can take it away. Um, it's fine. You're the coach. You're the boss. They're not the boss. They don't make the rules. They don't vote. They're not 18 yet. And it's totally fine for you to say, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to do something different. And you know what? If they are perfectly fine, then they won't be mad at you. If they get mad at you and if they lash out and start calling you names and start acting out, then there really was a problem. And then you really did need to take it away. So either way, either way, you kind of, you've kind of got it made, but you can get them a talk text phone. We right now recommend the Gab phone. There's another phone that we're looking at called the Wise phone. We're looking at a couple of different things like that. We want the most stripped down phone possible, which is why Dr. Stacy. Can you talk about the pinwheel for a minute? Yes. So, you know, a, um, a number of the studies have shown that the detrimental mental health effects that we see from handheld devices like iPads and um, smartphones is actually from the constant checking yes. and the time spent. So it's not, I mean, the content, of course, is not good, but we don't want our kids to have a device in their hand that has apps on it, right? Yeah. Because... Yeah. That's just feeding into this dopamine dump that's, you know, pulling them more and more into staring at the screen. Even if it's the weather app, it doesn't even have to be a bad app. Right. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say is that the, the apps in and of themselves aren't harmless. So there, there's, I mean, aren't harmful. So there's not something harmful about um, an airline app or a weather app or a um, you know math app on a phone. Yeah. The problem is, is that the kids don't know how to keep themselves 
from constantly wanting to use it. So it's distracting. Yeah. It's so distracting and it's pulling them. And so I think that these companies like Pinwheel and Trimmy, they come from a good place, but it's, it's not good for their mental health. So it's not really a whole lot different than a regular smartphone. Yeah. So yeah. having that is actually doing the same thing to their brain yeah. as you know, an iPhone or, or whatever it is. Cause people think it's all about the content and we're here telling you today, it's not all about the content. Of course, right. the content is a big, big, big piece of the pie, mm -hmm. but it's, that is not, we've got to stop focusing just on that and focus on these other issues that we talked about today, because there are many other issues. There's a lot more to this than just putting the right parental control or putting a phone that just has good apps and not bad apps. And just like what you're saying is taking their time it's distracting. It's taking their brain resources away from other things that they can be doing to better themselves. And I don't think um, smartphones make kids better people. I, and you have to look at that as an overall thing. Is this is this device making my child a better person? When and apps aren't good or bad. I mean, you know, it's like Instagram can be a great tool for yeah. a brain that is developed enough to use it in a good way. Yeah. And so we don't need our kids to have apps. They just don't need that. I mean, there's so many other things they need to be doing to grow their brains and they just don't need it. And a lot of parents say that, well, I have to give them the smartphone now early in eighth grade so I can teach them how to use it. And I'm here to tell you that you do not need to teach your kid how to use a phone. You don't need to teach them how to uh, resist those kinds of distractions because once we get their brain built, in a really healthy way and you've taken out all these obstacles and you've put the things in there to make that a, a really easy thing to do or you know you've made that more easy to accomplish then they will be able to use the phone in a healthy way but when they turn 25 and their brain is all messed up because they are stuck in all this weird immaturity then they will continue to use it in a healthy way when our kids practice piano and they practice baseball and they practice golf they get better when they practice social media and using their time in a bad way they get worse when you practice bad habits your bad habits get well they get bigger. better at wasting their time yeah i mean they, they get, get better at wasting better their time at, you know and and these app companies and these phone companies spend millions upon millions and millions of dollars a year to make all of these things very intuitive so that they can get people more addicted to them and use them more often, use more data and spend more time on it. So you don't have to worry about your kid le learning how to use it. No. You know? I mean, my 89 year old grandfather got an iPad and he had it figured out by the end of the day. Your kids will be more ahead. They will be further ahead of all their, their peers that have phones. If they don't have a phone, you have to trust us on this. Dive in more to the research. Dr. Stacy, we have got to wrap up. I know we can go on forever and we are going to go on forever in our, in our new form that we're um, getting up here in a couple of weeks on our site. So everybody hang tight. We'll be telling you more about that membership area of our site where Dr. Stacy and I, and along with other physicians will be in there talking about these issues and giving you all the answers to your questions. But what's your one takeaway? What's your one encouragement for parents today, Dr. Stacy. My encouragement is this. If you have already given your child, a, your teenager, a smartphone, I want you to feel empowered to take it away. And I want you to feel that you do not have to give them a smartphone. If you feel in your heart that that is not what you think is right and healthy for your child, I want you to know that you can take it away and you can tell your child, it's not that I don't trust you. It's not that you did something bad. It's not that I think that you don't deserve it. 
It's that I am doing what is healthy for you, what's right for our family, and we're going to learn how to do things a different way. And it's not that you don't trust them. You don't trust social media. You don't trust the phone. And mm-hmm. you can give them a, a, a gab. You can use this code strong and get a discount. There's other things out there that you can do to get them from point A to point B if they need to call you during the day. But they do not need a smartphone. They do not need it 24 hours. Um, it is very hard to manage. If you give it to them, you will not be able to lock it all down. Uh, you've heard me talk about that before. But I just want to also encourage parents to take it away. What's the worst thing that can happen? If your child acts out in a terrible way, then good for you for taking it away. You need to, you know, you got bigger problems, right? That we need to work on and that you Well, and if if you take it away and they're having mental health problems from that, you need to seek help. Yeah. And that just lets you know how big of a problem that actually is. And you're lucky that you're getting on top of it before it you know, got worse. It gets worse. So you kind of pay now or you pay later. But Dr. Stacy, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. We are just so thrilled to have you on our team. We've just heard from so many parents how much they love um, having you in our community. So thank you so much. I hope you all enjoyed listening today. As you can tell, we love talking about this topic. We do not get scared of it. (laughs) And um, we don't feel pitiful. We feel very empowered. We know exactly what we're doing with this issue. And we are so excited for you as you also hear the hope in our message that you can do this. It's not that hard. Your life is going to be easier. and, And we've got your back. Our parent course is available to you. So all the things we talked about today, all those things are found in our parent course. We have an online course for you that you can go to your school administrator. You can even get a bundle discount for your church or your school or your small group. Remember to get support from like-minded families. It is very hard to do this alone. Not that you can't be an outlier. Of course you can, but it's much easier when you just get a few families. So if you go to our Facebook group, it's called Screen Strong Families. That's our free forum. We will be having our membership portal open here pretty soon where we will be diving into um, much deeper issues on this topic. Plus we will have a lot of Q and a and a lot of live webinars and live Q and a for you over there. So what's your homework? Remove the smartphone from your teenagers uh, tight grip there from their white knuckled grip. It's okay to take it away. It's okay to just say no for now and actually start spending a lot more time with your teens, start showing them how to do life without being tethered to their smartphone as sort of like their pacifier. (laughs) You've got to get them to do um, some growing up first. Next, I want you to think about planning a social with your teens in in your house, even this weekend. This is such a beautiful time of year. Get a fire pit. They're really cheap. A lot of counselors have told me, Melanie, that was the best tip you gave my patient. They got a fire pit and they go outside and they hang out with their kids a lot more um, during this, especially this time of year. Just try to get your kids together with other peers. And you may have to do that. You may have to orchestrate that here in the beginning. Remember to rate our podcast and share it with as many friends as you can. So please, please do that. We want to get this word out. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you figure this all out. So until next time, stand up for your kids and never give an eighth grader a smartphone. Stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.